does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Hubler has it all. Dustin Dopirak is the beat writer for the Indiana Pacers for the Indianapolis Star. He's also kind enough to join us on the program and Dustin thanks for the time I'll get right to this I was mentioning earlier um I don't know that I necessarily like in the moment caught it but then as I was watching last night against Houston about you know a couple of minutes after watching a lineup on the floor I said to myself they actually do have the capability do the Pacers of putting a defensive lineup on the floor problem is that compromises a little bit of their true brand which is their offensive efficiency but um seems as though they're in the period of the year here where they're like you know what we're going to focus on the defensive end and then try to balance everything back out tell me what changes rick carlisle who had talked about the possibility of changes being made tell me what he's actually doing that is causing them to suddenly not give up like 190 points a night i mean it's a few things i mean i think um Obviously, last night they decided to go bigger, um, and so they had bigger lineups out there more frequently. Even though Jalen Smith and Miles Turner get, didn't get to play together very much, just because they had they were both in foul trouble. But obviously, Isaiah Jackson, I thought, came in and did a, a really good job uh, in his almost 20 minutes uh, of filling in for those guys uh, and giving them just some opportunity to, to, to not commit fouls. Um, so, I, I mean, obviously, that's one thing is just being more frequently deciding that you're going to have two of those bigs out there. Um, it's not an all the time thing. Certainly, you know, you're, you're dealing uh the, the biggest problem that they've had is certainly def- defending those just really big and talented power forwards lebron james is the honest ante uh paolo banqueros carl anthony towns is the world that are really big guys but also immensely skilled uh, and they've had a hard time stopping those guys there and smith has been the one guy who's been willing to kind of step in front of the moving trains but that doesn't necessarily keep them from scoring it just means he just gets knocked on his butt a lot uh and he's you know defending with all manner of ferocity and whatnot but you're 6'6 215 and going against guys that are 250 260 you know when you collide you're going to go fall backwards um so i think you know it gives them a little bit more capacity to deal with at least the physical blows um and maybe rebound a little bit better that kind of thing you don't necessarily have an answer for them because you can, those guys can still go around them um but I think that helps them, and I think there's obviously been it, – it, it's helped, obviously, the last couple of games. They've played teams that aren't great offensive teams, that aren't lights-out offensive teams, that don't have you know superstars at that position. Um, and you know Memphis is a team that grinds you out. Orlando is a team that grinds you out. You know Houston is still young and figuring itself out. Um, so that has helped. I think Andrew Nembhardt's co- coming back has been really important. Uh, that's been really helpful. Even as you lost Bruce Brown, I think you've seen that Nembhardt's a really – you know is, is a really solid defender, keeps guys from getting moving, um, you know, all that much at all. So I think that's – that's been helpful that the, the bigger size, you know, again, getting them hard back, uh, I think it's been good having them in the starting lineup. They're going to have certain questions to ask uh, when Bruce Brown gets back healthy. Um, so I think those are kind of the, the, the key things uh, that have really stood out. I think they've done a good job in second halves um, of sort of, you know, waking up after they've given up a bunch has been, you know, pretty useful. So I think that's made some difference. I mean, you're still in a position where you're giving up 115 a night and you're calling it a good day. Um, and that's not necessarily, that doesn't make you a great defense, but they can, um, you you know, there has been some improvement. They can they can put together a decent defensive lineup. I think out of this group, it's just not it's not it's not going to be a great one. But if if you just get it out there for a little while and it's good enough to hang, so when you put out more offensive lineups, they can put a gap in it. You know, speaking of collisions for Aaron Neesmith, he had kind of an ugly one last night with his teammate. Little friendly fire with mm. Jalen Smith, and I thought Jalen Smith was a little cobwebbed. He got up and shook it off. Uh, I, I don't think this is the case, Dustin, but I'll, I'll ask, was there any fallout from that, like in terms of today or after the game, where they determined that maybe uh, Smith in particular was more shaken up than was indicated? Yeah, I haven't seen that. I wasn't on this trip, so I would have asked uh, Ricardo about that if I was in Houston, but I didn't, but I wasn't. So I think I definitely, I, I had the same question, So, but I, I haven't seen anything yet to suggest uh, that he's back in the protocol or anything like that. Um, you know, it, it, Certainly he was back on the bench shortly, and you would have thought if he was in the protocol, they would have kept him out um, for a while longer. I mean, I'm trying to think of, I, 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 you know, I think, 
when was it Miami? He went to the hospital um, after he got dinged up, and they didn't, you know, put him in the protocol for any longer than that. Um, so, you know, I, it's possible that uh, it's a similar situation where he got his bell rung a little bit, but not enough to put him in the protocol. Um, so, it's certainly, I think, one one to check out. I mean, obviously, when the report comes out uh, for tomorrow uh, later today uh, to see if he's on that list, but I haven't seen anything yet that suggests that he will be. Pacers beat writer for the Indy Star, Dustin DePirac, joins us. Dustin, we talked about this earlier, and Jake had mentioned it in that first question to you, that their ability to take away maybe what they're doing full speed offensively to lock in a little bit more defensively was more present in a successful manner last night against Houston than it was, say, five nights prior when they're in Memphis, when they kind of tried the same thing and it looked like, no, they have to go full speed. They cannot try to be a full-level defensive team They don't have the firepower to do it. How much of that in hindsight now is because of, well, that was actually their fifth game in like seven days and fatigue matters, especially in this league, if you want to play good defense? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of, and and also, first off, that definitely mattered. I mean, there's there's no doubt that the, I think the the entire cumulative effect, I mean, they kept getting asked about Las Vegas and they sort of sidestepped that to say, well, you know, we don't want to think about that and, and only be thinking about that. But it's like, it's not, it wasn't, just it wasn't the fact that it was the in-season tournament. It's you tacked on, you know, four or five days in Vegas onto a trip that was already, you know, four games and seven days on the road and, and crisscrossing uh, time zones and all that kind of thing. And I think that the total, um, you know, uh, the, the the total wear and tear, and then you come back and we got the Clippers, you know, right right away as soon as you come back for a home game, and then you, you get Charlotte's ease back into it, but that's part of a back to back. You know, when you go out to Memphis and Memphis has Ja back, and you know, on top of that, like there's there's a matchup piece to this as well. I mean, like they had a hard time getting running against Memphis because Memphis is really, really good at defending the interior. You got guys like Jaron Jackson and Xavier Tillman uh, that that make your life really hard uh, in the middle. So they weren't getting a lot of points in the paint, and they were having to shoot a ton of threes uh, and to try to make up for that. And, and again, they did have some kind of they were a little, were a little bit dead legs, so those shots weren't going in. Um, so it was a cumulative effect, a lot of things plus matchup. Plus, you go from again, you go from Orlando to or from Memphis to Orlando, and those are two of the you know toughest, biggest, longest teams. Uh, that you can deal with. So Houston is a, in, in a way sort of a breather, even though that's still a really good team um, at this point. Uh, so I think that there was a combination of those two things. And it's like, what do you have to do? How, how fast do you have to play to get what you need? Um, you know, you, you can play a little bit slower uh, against a team that you can still skill They'll score, get to the paint in the half court. Um, where it's really tough to do that. When Memphis' defense is set, it's really tough to get into the teeth of that defense and score. Any Anytime they try to drive the basketball against them, they had a hard time getting buckets. It was a little bit easier uh, last night for them to get that done, I think, where they end up with. And they obviously made some shots. That helped them. They had 44 in the paint. Um, but 19 threes, you know, goes goes a long, long way. Um, you know, it allows you to set your defense, um, you know, all those kinds of things. So that there, there were a lot of, you know, factors working in their favor uh, last night that weren't working in their favor against Memphis and Orlando. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Justin, we know Tyrese Halliburton is a special player. He's shown that in kind of this coming out party season over the stretch of just half the, not even half the year, basically just past the Christmas Day games. That stretch in Vegas, it became an expectation of, well, he's not going to turn the basketball over. Like, it, it is a bad mm-hmm. night for him if he has even one turnover listed on the box score. I feel like now, when you look at his entire career and you look at what's happened the last three or four games, the number is probably three, maybe four, mm-hmm. but more than that, that, then you should be panicky. Of, oh, that's a bad night for Tyrese. Do you see it that same way? Is that a fair bar for him in terms of where they should see a good night versus a bad night taking care of the basketball? Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, I think when you're handling the ball that much and you're making that many passes, you know, three is probably okay. You know, you, you're going to miss fire sometimes. Um, you know, that's that's probably a fair number. Now, he's not okay with that. I mean, I think uh, right. you know he was in the midst of talking kind of through his 
um, you know, uh, just with Saturday night against Orlando, he's like, man, I've really been hurting us lately. I've been terrible. He's looking, he's like, my my turnover numbers are terrible lately. And it was at 4-4, you know, like I, I think he had three against Orlando, four against Memphis. I'm looking at his basketball reference page. I don't know this off by heart. But, um, you know, four against Memphis, four against Charlotte, four against the Clippers. He had seven against the Pistons uh, in that win. So, I mean, I, I think that's – he feels like that's a little bit high for him. I think he, he'll live with two, um, but certainly likes to stack nights when he's getting zeros. Uh, you know, I mean, I think he obviously had, um, uh, you know, zero against Boston, one against Milwaukee. He's had so many other great games where it was one or zero. I mean, I think he's – I'm looking at the stretch here. Yeah, he had, he had zero against Boston, zero against Milwaukee. So those back-to-back games, no turnovers. You know, two against Miami and, and when he had 44 even in the loss. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, it, you know, it, it's reasonable to say, okay, three or four is, is where he should be if you're having the ball in the hand, your hand that much, you're passing the ball that much. You know, there's going to be a few misfires uh, over the course of a whole basketball game. But he thinks there should be fewer than that, and that's obviously why he's capable of every once in a while having a night where he has 15 assists and no turnovers. Dustin, is Jarris Walker – I know it's really early, don't get me wrong, but so far from what we've seen, is he a defensive tweener? And by that I mean maybe I just misunderstood what kind of his role was going to be. Probably that's the case. But at 6'7", he would lack the height probably to get overly physical on the low block with somebody. But he also seemingly, does he have the lateral quickness to guard and be a wing defender? Which sort of, he was touted defensively, which sort of defensive player is he? I think defensive, like when he puts all the tools together, he can be a guy that that can do both. Because he's got a lot of length to him. I got to look back at his, uh, um, what what you call it, Uh, um, combine uh, numbers as far as um, wingspan is concerned, but as I recall correctly, his wingspan you know measured humongous. Um, I mean, it was it was really big. Plus, he's got you know a significant amount of bulk, muscle, like all that kind of stuff. Like he can defend bigger than six seven. I, I think that's one thing to, to point out. And I think so for the most part, if if you imagine him you know fully put together and he knows what he's doing on defense, um, you can see the mound of clay looks like somebody that you could put up against some of these bigger fours. Like in in theory. Um, he he really fits that mold. I think uh, Caitlin Cooper obviously does a phenomenal job with the exit and those stuffs that she does. You know, to keep saying that like he he is a defender in theory as much as better than he is in reality uh, at this point. In reality, he's twenty, and uh, you know, I think even when we talked to Kevin Pritchard on draft on not draft night lottery night, um, you know, we asked him, are, are you going to go for defense? Do you view it as you know this is your opportunity to get a guy who really fits that mold? And we were thinking of Walker when we were asking the question, um, and he was like, you know, you you, you can only ask so much of a rookie uh, as a defensive player because they're just going to figure out how the game's called, how it's referees, what's a foul, what's a, what's not, how to, how to deal with some of these superstars. So, like, you can't def- draft a guy for defense, um, you know, and expect that as a rookie he's going to make an impact. Again, this is before he even had Walker. Um, we, he wasn't even mentioning names that night. He wouldn't even speak Victor Wenbanyama's name out loud, even though he wasn't able to draft him. Like, you know, that's kind of still how, how he was thinking already. Um, so I guess it should, we shouldn't be surprised that at this point, at 20, he's not quite there yet. Obviously, we talked a little bit to Rick Carlisle about him last week when he was down at G League and did a really good job at the showcase uh, in Orlando and he was just talking about defense and, and what Rick said he's, he's got to he, he's got to make sure that he's being more steady more disciplined than his instincts want him to I asked well, what, do you, what do you mean by that he said stop making willy-nilly gambles and, and we talked to Walker about that he says yeah he's, you know I, there was one play that I saw on Twitter basically that like you know, you, he sees the basketball and he has to reach for it. And it's like, okay, like that, you can't do that in the NBA. You know, you might have been able to get away with that at Houston. You might have been able to get away with that at IMG. You know, just with all the length you had to stick your hand in there. I mean, even like one of the first plays down at the summer league, uh, he picked Bilal Kalabali's pocket. I mean, that really stood out to me as what he could do. But he is gambling. And there was a scenario where he reached and the guy went right, you know, of the opening he created by reaching. And he went and scored a layup that way. And so I think that's kind of where he is. He, he, you need to figure out, he needs to get his mind right as a defender and understand what he can and can't do and, you know, stop 
making the gambles that he used to make, that used to turn into steals, now turn into laps against him uh, before you can really get a sense of, of what he can be defensively. Again, he's just, it's, it's one of those things where you got to remind yourself every once in a while, some of these guys that come in in their 20, you, you have this expectation because some guys have really been successful as rookies. You forget some of them take a couple years, you know, to get right and, and to, to you find out what they can really be as a defensive player. Uh, and it might take them some time, but I think I think you saw a lot of good progress uh, from him if you got to watch any of the G League showcase games, especially offensively come a long way um so he's not that far off and it's not a situation where you look at him and say well okay this is just not going to be what he was picked to be but it's going to be a while before before he is what they envisioned dustin i'm not saying that the indianapolis star would be thrilled with your participation in a gambling <laughs> game around a team that you cover but we're gonna we're gonna do a hypothetical here okay mm-hmm. yeah you and i go out to las vegas together okay mm-hmm. now if we're gonna go out to vegas together Guys trip, where do you want to stay first off? That's a big question. What, what, what place would you want to stay? I'll, I'll pop. Where do you want to stay? <laughs> anywhere. Okay, well, just anywhere on the strip. I'm good with. Okay. I, I mean, I was at the Hilton Garden Inn last Okay, time, so, so, like, so we're going to stay at, <laughs> you know, the Venetian's nice, Bellagio's nice, but I thought Paris was cool when I stayed there. So we'll, we'll stay at Paris, okay? okay. All right, so I'm down in the that. lobby yeah. of Paris, we're going to get some croissants, and there's a gambling game <laughs> taking place, and it is the mm-hmm. following. We're going to have Mm -hmm. a draft, and Mm -hmm. we are going to draft players that if that player is traded by the Pacers at the trade deadline, then you are going to get a free trip to return to Vegas, okay? So your goal here is that you want to have players that you're drafting on a little fantasy draft that that Mm -hmm. get moved. I I draft first, and I draft Benedict Matherin. Now, when I draft him – are you thinking to yourself, I am so happy he drafted him because that is such a dumb pick. There's no way they're going to trade Matherin. Jake is an idiot, and this gives me a perfect first-round pick to make. And if you think that, who is your first-round pick? I mean, I'm I'm the most safe of safe gamblers when I have ever gambled, uh, which is very rare. Um, but, I, I mean, I would take Buddy just because that seems like the the obvious move. But I could easily see... Uh, like you take him and I'm like, you might be wrong, but you could be right. You know, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I think what we would say to this is, is this Benedict Matherin certainly is the most valuable piece they could conceivably move. Um, as far as who, who would do the best on the market, who would bring in uh, the biggest return, and therefore who could you package, you know, with, you know, who would be the centerpiece of a package that gets you an all-star caliber player? Um, you know, I think that that's the guy who gets you closest to that. If you want a Pascal Siakam or somebody at, at, at that level, you know, certainly we, we don't really have a sense of who's going to open up yet. Laurie Markkinen, you know, if, if you want Laurie Markkinen, you probably have to move Benedict Matherin. Um, you know, if, if you're looking for somebody who's going to be, a big, a big wing, a big power forward that can score and can defend at least a little, uh, but you know turns into that, you know, number two guy with Halliburton. Sometimes your number one guy. Uh, you, you know, I, I, you, you're going to have a hard time getting him if you're not moving. Um, Matherin certainly makes it easier. I mean, could you package Shield together with draft picks and get it? Maybe, um, but I, I think that's going to be difficult. Um, you know, I mean, you're going to have to pair several first to get a player of that caliber so i i definitely i'm not saying jake's an idiot but i i am saying as as the indy star beat writer man that would be a really shake up if he's right okay you know, that that would be a big deal how about obi top though so, so you, you like in this case you just gotta get like he's just gotta move um i think you know that's certainly more possible um, I, I don't think they're going to rush out the door to get rid of him. They're not going to just try to uh, move him just to move him. They certainly like what he's done with Halliburton. Uh, they, they definitely don't view him as a useless piece. But certainly I think he has you know, increased his value, I think, um, by what he's done. Obviously still not a great defensive player, but um, as lob finisher, as just finisher at the rim, uh, he's been everything they could have hoped for and more. I mean, I think he's probably – he's had a couple of rough nights, but if you know, I call him up right here, he's probably at like 75% of his twos or something crazy like that. Um, so I, I think, you know, they're certainly not going to view him as the least bit untouchable. Um, they might move him for something else that they seem that, that more fits. It might be more defensive oriented when, um, but, you know, or, or again, like he might just fit as part of a greater package, but, uh, he certainly could be on the move. It's cer- he's certainly a safer bet to move the math is. Dustin, if the season ended today and it feels like we're having that conversation with the Colts, because they're on the doorstep, the Pacers still have 
so many more games left to go before we get to that point. But if it did, they'd be a play-in team. We're 30 games in nearly. How much more do you and the Pacers need to see before, to build off of Jake's question, we figure out if they're buyers, sellers, or just standing pat at the deadline, which is less than two months away? Yeah, I mean... You know, it's it's interesting. I mean, you look at the standings now. I mean, they're a game and a half back of Cleveland for seventh, two games back of the Knicks for sixth, two and a half back of the Heat uh, for fifth. I mean, all of this, everybody from uh, Orlando on down at four is pretty is pretty tightly packed. Uh, you know, you're starting to see the separation that you were expecting to see uh, from Boston and Milwaukee and, and to the Philadelphia to some extent. Obviously, everybody's still close. Everybody's within eight games, and that's not an insurmountable amount uh, of space to make up. But I mean, I think you, you get the sense that Boston and Milwaukee are out in the front um, and, you know, everybody else is a little bit behind them. Philly's kind of in its own space, you know, on, on, on their own kind of chasing them. And then there's really the rest of the pack. I mean, I'd be, I, I'd have a hard time imagining that they're going to hit the seller's point. I have a hard time seeing the bottom falling out. So they're below Chicago. Um, I, I don't think they're going to, I think they view it as important to get this team in postseason one way or the other. Um, so I don't see them tanking. Uh, I, I guess that's that's the bottom line point. It, it has to be really bad. Um, you know, it, they have to be. I think forced to say that you're, they're not even going to play for the play-in. Um, that, that that I think is their their hand will have to be forced for them to be out of that. So if they're even within striking range of tenth uh, in February, I think they're going to be buyers. Um, so that that I have a you know it really has to fall out of it for that for them to be for them to be sellers. I'm sorry. Um, but I, so I think they're going to be in, in at least by position, but you know their level of ability to take risks certainly is going to be governed by how high up they are. You know if they can move up a couple, if they can get on a winning streak, uh, you know here and, and get back into you know being sixth. I think certainly sixth is I think their main goal is to to get out of play in, uh, out of a play in scenario. I think they just view that this team has to find a way to get into a seven game playoff series, and even if they go one and done there, even if they get you know, blitz three, you know, four, one, four, Oh, they just have to get a sense of it. This, this young team has to figure out what it's like to be in playoffs and then go from there. So I think uh, just as if they're holding steady at 500, uh, I think they're going to at least try to make a play to move up um, and they will buy more than they will sell. um, Even if they're still in that position, they'll certainly be more willing to take risks the higher up the ladder they are. Um, But, you know, I, a lot has to go wrong for them to a lot to not at least try to buy at the deadline. I think staying at the Hilton Garden Inn is kind of a smart play, to be honest with you. Because you know it was smart until I figured out it was on the other side of the freeway. I had to take an Uber to the arena every day, and it was it was point three miles away. I was staring at it, but I couldn't get across. Like, yeah, I, that's I a bit of a buzzkill. But like, but here's yeah. the thing: if you're going to mm-hmm. go to Vegas, like everybody gets so excited about where are you staying, where are you staying, and it's like how yeah. often? I mean, I mean you're. You're never any of those casinos, Dust. Any of them for people that have never been to Las Vegas. You hear about like mm-hmm. you know, oh the Luxor, the Paris, the Bellagio, the Venetian, the the you know the Mirage. Mm-hmm. You, once you're in the depths of one of those casinos, they're all the same. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess <laughs> yeah, if you're there in the dead of summer, it's nice because mm-hmm. you have pool access. But if you're going right now, yeah. you, mm-hmm. you go and you walk up and down the strip, or whatever else. And then to be honest with you, by the time you're like totally worn out, it's kind of nice to get away from all that and just crash out for eight hours. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. The one thing that was so the last time I stayed in a casino was uh, we went we did Treasure Island. My, it was my uh, buddy Brett's bachelor party. And the one thing that was really nice about it, it was like they had a they have a CVS in, Tre- in Treasure Island where you can buy beer at a normal price, uh, six packs and whatnot. So I like take a six pack up to like up to my room, have a beer to walk around with, not have to spend spend ten bucks a beer. Now, do they I still have the pirate ship up. battle at Treasure Island? I think they do. We didn't see that, but I'm sure they do. Yeah, I mean, they have that out front and everything, so they, they must. I mean, how, how would you get rid of that? <laughs> so, but yeah, no, that's that. The, the, but the nice thing about Hilton Garden Inn was like you you come home at the end of the night and there's not a casino that you have to walk through. You just walk up, you go to bed, you wake totally. up and it's not yeah. there. So that's that's peaceful. And so it's like you, you get to separate from that and then go back to it if you want to. So there's, there's good and bad about it. But it would have been a lot nicer if I realized that the 0.3 mile distance was not Point three miles is a freeway. Yeah, point three miles in Vegas to... can be ten miles for sure, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Dustin, was... appreciate it, man. If we don't talk to you, have a very happy New Year. All right. Absolutely, same to you guys. Thanks so much. All right, again, Dustin uh, Doperak, Doperak. 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Two o'clock hour underway on this hump day Wednesday that feels like a Tuesday. So good news, folks. You are just a couple days away from a three-day weekend to ring in 2024. Joining us now on the hotline, he, of course, longtime Indianapolis media member. You can read all of his work on Substack. And in addition to that, follow him, of course, on X Twitter. Bob Kravitz joins us. Bob, I'm going to get right to the Pacer game. We've been talking about it a lot from last night. You know, Rick Carlisle had talked about and discussed the possibility that they were going to have to do something different defensively, and you touched on it going into that game that lineup changes might be in order, and I thought last night they were pretty good defensively, especially comparatively speaking to the way they've been in the past. Well, really, the last last four games, they've been 19th in the league in defense, which sounds pretty humble, but for them is quite quite a step up. But, yeah, I asked Rick after they gave up 74 points to the Orlando Magic in the first half on Saturday. I said, are you thinking about making some changes? And he kind of looked at me like uh, like my wife usually looks at me, like I'm completely crazy. And, uh, by God, he made a switch. And I, 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 think, I think they're a better team. They're a better starting group with Neesmith uh, and, uh, and Nemhard. Uh, and Jalen Smith, for that matter. Um, the, the problem you have then is with the bench because you, you don't have as good a defense with the bench. So, you know, you, you, you gain a little bit and you lose a little bit. But I, I thought they played very well last night, and I like to see that lineup uh, uh, play a couple of games and see what they're all about. I thought last night Isaiah Jackson gave him really good minutes. Jalen Smith did as well. And they offer a little bit, especially if they're out there with Turner, one of the two, they offer a little bit there. Question is, Bob, is the defense – like can they, the Pacers, maintain – their offense and the brand of their offense is what was making them unique. And yet it was coming at the cost of their defense. Can they ramp their offense back up – if, in fact, they're having to commit this much defensively? Well, that's a good question. I, 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 would, I would think there's, a, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to. I mean, so much of their defensive problems are just effort. You know, I mean, they're not great defensive players individually, uh, by and large, except for Neesmith and Nemhard, guys like that. But I think they can still average 120 plus points per game and play better defense like we've we've seen these last four games when they're 19th in the league in in total defense I mean if they can just be somewhere in that area there's no reason why they shouldn't be a playoff team but that was one game we'll see what they do in the long term Bob Kravitz is our guest. Bob, as you look at the Pacers, and I know you tweeted this a couple, actually, no, just last night when you were talking about the win over the Rockets, that the rose-colored glasses, to paraphrase, from the goodwill that was built up from the in-season tournament is those are off now, and it's time to look at the rest of the year. A lot of that post-IST hangover, and the Lakers experienced it as well, felt like fatigue, do you agree with that premise that, yeah, I mean, they were playing seven games and five nights, whatever the stretch might have been, and either way, should that be something the league looks at as they fine-tune it and be like, you know what, we're going to adopt even more of the European model, we'll have these group play games early portion of the season, and then quarterfinals, semifinals, that, that's into February or into March to kind of space this thing out a little more. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I don't think you want to, you know, give – give teams a reason not to do well in, in, in the in-season tournament. You know, and if teams look at what's happened to the Pacers, what's happened to the Lakers since the IST, uh, they may say, you know, it, it's not worth it. You know, I mean, certainly the money is very, very nice, especially for guys at the end of the bench. But, yeah, I, I, I could see them uh, continually tweaking this thing and tweaking the schedule 
so that you, you're not stuck with these, you know, five games and seven nights or whatever, whatever it was with the Pacers. You know, Bob, it's interesting because to me, for the Lakers, you're right. It's probably not worth it. But for Indiana, I feel like it was, and I'll tell you why. Oh, yeah. Because eventually the way that they were playing, they were kind of playing with fire when you're going out there and you're trying to be like the, the 83 Nuggets and score 150 points and beat everybody 150 to 145. And what they found out was that when they're, when stuff really is on the line, teams turn up the wick defensively and it totally changes the way that they play. And I feel like for the Pacers, it was better for a young team to learn that now as opposed to May because they were eventually going to run into that that wall, right? right? Well, you see what's happening with Halliburton. And, you know, in a playoff series, teams are going to focus so heavily on Halliburton. And Rick was talking about the other day how uh, Dirk Nowitzki uh, had to learn to uh, be effective from different spots on the floor aside from the low post. How Reggie Miller, after the 99th uh, season, uh, how he became a better one-on-one player so they couldn't, you know, stop so, so because they were, they, they were stopping him on all the pin downs and he, he couldn't get free for his shot. 2000 was a much different deal once he became a better one-on-one player. So I think Halliburton and this whole team, they're, they're just going to have to get used to, um, you know, being, being focused upon, um, you know, in these short series. So, yeah, I, I, I think that this was a good thing for the Pacers. Yeah, they've, they've gone in the, in, the, in the dumps a little bit since then, three and six uh, since the tournament. But I do think it was a great experience for them, and I think it will hold them in good stead uh, if and when they make the playoffs. Bob, what's the most intriguing storyline in indie sports heading into the new year? like the one that's going to carry over and would it be for you this young Pacer team or is it in fact the Colts because we kind of forget about the fact with what they're doing that next year it's somewhat of a reset but probably an upgrade in totality at the quarterback position. You know, I'm going to go completely off the reservation I love here that. and say the most, the most interesting story heading into the new year to me is Purdue basketball. Hard to argue that because – because they, they they go into they go into the spring, and they they've got to win. They've no got question. To win anything anything short of of a Final Four is is a, uh, a terrible disappointment. So look, I, I think the Colts are interesting, but you know uh, right now without their quarterback, they're they're about they're look they're overachieving. And I I think the Pacers are intriguing. Uh, I'll be very curious to see what they do with Buddy Heald, uh, maybe maybe uh, uh, TJ. Uh, they're going to have to move some people. You know, do they try and take a run at Pascal Siakam? I think that's really interesting. But I think the story that's going to grab everybody's attention come the springtime is is Purdue basketball. You know, it, for Purdue and. and- it's interesting, Bob, because there are two ways to look at it. One is to say that the shortcomings of Purdue have put them in this position, and the other is to say, no, it's actually the fact that they've been so good now for a couple of years with a roster that most places would have turned over, and they got everybody back and everybody bought in. So it's a kudos to what they've been able to do, but do you think Matt Painter approaches March any differently than a year ago, you know, to avoid once again in particular, or or is it kind of one of those things if they get past the first round, they're home free? I I think, I think it's going to be like, like Virginia. Remember Virginia, I forget who they were playing the year after they lost in the first round to UMBC. um, They were down by a good 15 points. In the first in the first half, if I remember correctly, the next year, the first round game, and they got that one. They won that game, and of course, they beat Purdue with that uh, miracle shot by Diakite that sent it to overtime. So I think once they get past the first round, I think it'll be fairly smooth sailing because I think 
This is the best team in college basketball, and there's just no excuse. Does Matt Painter do something different? I don't think so. I think he just prays that he doesn't have another 16 seed with a bunch of small athletic guards who who are going to drive Edie and the rest of that team crazy. But I, I think the way that um, the way that Braden Smith is playing, lawyer, I, I just think an, an extra year for those guys. I think that's going to make all the difference. Gardner Webb, by the way, is the one that was leading Gardner Virginia. Gardner Webb. I remember I was, like people were like, "There's." I was in an IndyCar event. I can't remember what race I would have been at, probably St. Pete or Birmingham, and walking up and down pit road, and when that game was going on, and people are like, dude, Gardner Webb's leading Virginia. And you're like, there's no way this is going to happen again. Of course, they, they righted the ship. Um, yeah. You know, the let's go to, to the Colts, Bob. Bob Kravitz is our guest, by the way. And you can read all of his work. Uh, before we get to the Colts, actually, Bob, tell me what you got upcoming here in terms of your Substack column. Well, I just wrote about the Pacers today. Uh, I'm kind of uh, playing it by ear. I'll, I'll probably do something Colts tomorrow. Uh, I'm interested in uh, Jonathan Taylor and the fact that he's done really nothing this year. And how much of that is the fact that he's been injured and he had the hold in to start the season how much of it is maybe they shouldn't have given him all that money you know I, I i don't know i don't know the answer to that and hopefully i'll have an answer in my column once i get around to writing the stupid thing the funny thing about it bob with taylor and i had mentioned this earlier this week and i want your thoughts on it they basically had did the colts three really key players going into the year that you knew were on you know, free agency years or contract years. Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, and Grover Stewart was an important one as well. Um, Mm -hmm. It seems like Pittman and Grover Stewart escalated their value by not being there for different reasons because you saw how much they could be missed. And then Taylor, on the other hand, just created his own absence and it paid off the most for him. Are they going to pay Stewart and Pittman? I, I think they'll definitely pay uh, Pittman. Um, you know, he, he might get franchised. You know, for the franchise tag, I don't know what it is. It's got to be around $20 million. I think I mean, it's, it's $22.5 roughly is what it would be, 23 and a half, Yeah, it's significant. But he's going to get paid. He's not going anywhere. Um, you know, I, I need to get to the bottom of Grover's situation. I, I, I'm not sure um, – you know how that how that's going to impact his his future with the, with the Colts, but there's no question when when he went out, they were giving up a full yard per carry more than when he was in the in the lineup. So, I mean, clearly he's incredibly valuable, and I would think him, Kenny Moore, uh, Blackman, who unfortunately is hurt right now, but he was. He was having a terrific season. I got to think most, if not all, those guys will be back. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Bob, where is the line as you evaluate these final two games for uh, just another missed opportunity in the long line of going on a decade plus now of, oh, they'll either get there or they'll just come up short to making the playoffs versus this roster is incomplete. The franchise quarterback's not out there. They lost another key weapon, hopefully not long-term, but just a a game in Michael Pittman Jr. And this first-year head coach is making the best of a bad situation. He deserves some credit. Well, where's the line there? Well, look, I I think that this season has already been a success, whatever – Whatever happens these last two games, uh, I hear people comparing it to the situation a couple of years ago when they they went and lost to the Raiders and then they lost to uh, Jacksonville. That was a really good team, though. And if you remember, I mean, they were good all year, and uh, d- despite despite Carson Wentz being you know giving us the Carson Wentz experience, I. 
I just think they're playing with house money at this point. Uh, that team a couple of years ago, I think we all expected them to make the playoffs. And given the teams that they – I mean, they they rolled Buffalo during the regular season in Buffalo. I think it was 40 to 15 or something like that. That was a team that had a chance to do something. This is a team that if they get to the playoffs, they're not going to be there very long because there's just a lot of really average teams that have that have taken advantage of playing a schedule with a lot of backup quarterbacks. Now, I realize the Colts themselves have been using a backup quarterback 90% of the time, but, um, you know, I, I think he's the best of the backups. I'll say that. So, no, I, I, I think they're playing with house money. I don't think this is similar to the situation a couple of years ago. Bob, here's my concern. And I want you, Bob Kravitz, to feel free, because I know you will, to tell me if I'm out of my mind, okay? I, I've, I've looked at this year's Colts season, and I know how much fun it's been for fans, and it's been fun to cover, and it's given us certainly a lot to talk about. And it's been good business for both of us, right? Because people are invested sure. because they've they've overachieved probably. My Absolutely. concern is that next year, with all the progress that has been made this year with Shane Steichen and with, you know, different running backs that you find out you, you had some stuff with and, and with different defensive players rising to the occasion at times and everything kind of bouncing their way, my concern is that next year when you are – back to square one in developing a young quarterback that an increasingly difficult schedule a bigger bullseye and suddenly the ball bouncing opposite directions that everything can come back in a harsh reality for the Colts and that it can hurt Anthony Richardson your thoughts well first they have got to surround him with with more weapons I you know I I am so sick I mean look Alec Pierce is a nice nice young man and maybe he'll become a player at some point. But I'm tired of hearing all the excuses. You know, look, you know, if you're a good wide receiver, you you got to be able to catch the short ones. you got to be able to catch the ones, uh, you know, uh, in, in the mid-range. You know, I mean, you, you. I'm just not a fan is what I'm saying. Um, they've got to surround him with better players. Might they have a worse record next year? It's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. Just because the schedule this year was so soft, you had so many backup quarterbacks like you'll have this week with Aiden, Aiden O'Connell. Um, and, you know, I, 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 th- I think it's good. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I think it could be a, a very challenging year next year because, again, uh, Anthony Richardson's essentially going to be a rookie again because he only played what three, right. four games, parts of three. He's going to be a rookie again, and he's going to go through the through the growing pains. And I, I, I think I think they're going to struggle a little bit. Bob, do you get the sense that for Gardner Minshew moving forward, obviously not here because Anthony Richardson is here. Do you get the sense as this season has progressed, he feels like he indeed can be a starter in the NFL, or do you envision a world where no, he knows what he is, and maybe the Colts would even look at retaining him? I think the Colts should do everything they can possibly do to retain him. Um, at what price, I don't know, but um, you know, Anthony unfortunately has not shown that he can stay healthy. It's only a one-year sample size. I understand that. I'm not saying he's He's injury prone, but the, this first year has been fairly concerning. And I have said for years that the backup quarterback is an incredibly important position. We saw what happened in 2000 and whatever it was, 11, when Peyton went down and they're bringing in Kerry Collins and Curtis Painter and Dan Orlovsky. So, you know, I, I just think, I, I think you need to have a good backup quarterback if you want to be competitive um, because these guys just don't last any longer. I mean, very few guys are playing all 17. Bob, the other day we were talking about, or I had mentioned that team with Curtis Painter, and I remember when Manning, and it wasn't long after Manning that it was announced that he was going to have the, the neck surgery that 
that we knew that he was not going to play that year. But when they got when they got Kerry Collins, I thought to myself, okay, I, you know, they might be able to win nine or ten games. And then <laughs> Kerry Collins came out, and like he looked as he had as much interest in being there as I did at a, you know what I mean, at a Barry Manilow concert, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and and I am convinced, and I want your thought on this. I know we're going on the way back here, but I'm convinced that Bill Polian, for as much as I have at times questioned Bill Polian in different areas, I'm convinced that Bill Polian realized right away that without Peyton Manning, they did not have a roster. And so they made some schematic decisions to go ahead and go with guys that were undrafted free agents or late first-round picks and put them in as starters because he knew at that point what was in play, which was the possibility of Andrew Luck. And, and I'm, so you're, you're, you're saying he sucked for Luck on purpose. Correct. Correct. I think as soon as he – I think at first they, they, they gave it a go with Collins. And once he saw that Kerry Collins couldn't play, then he realized he was stuck. And so they put Curtis Painter in there until it was – too far gone where they basically had secured the number one, and then they went to Orlovsky. Your thoughts? Yeah, Orlovsky almost screwed it up. I, you know, I'll never forget Tom Moore, the, the great old offensive coordinator. Somebody was, was talking about how the backup quarterback never takes any reps with Peyton Manning around. And somebody said, uh, somebody said, you know, what do you do if you lose Peyton Manning? He said, and I'm, I have to use the correct verbiage here. He says, "We don't, we don't practice screwed, right? And without Peyton Manning, we're screwed. So they don't even, they didn't even bother getting reps for the backups. Um, I think the game has changed a lot, and I, and I think um, the, the way quarterbacks are going. I, what did I read? Twenty six backup quarterbacks this year. Some some crazy number." Um, you've got to have a solid backup, even if it's for two, three games. Look at look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know they they need somebody who can get them through these couple of games without uh, Trevor Lawrence. And and they, they just signed. Don't I don't know if you saw Jacksonville just signed uh, off the New York practice squad. Uh, Matt Barkley, so they know that. Well, that, there's there's a game changer. Well, but what I'm saying is that, that that probably means they know that that at the most critical time, Trevor Lawrence may not be around, right? And they got to get a backup right. to their backup. Exactly, exactly. So no, I just I, I'm I'm a big fan of backup quarterbacks. I just even if they don't play, I just think they are so important in today's game. Bob, where are you on the pulse of the city in terms of, and I know JMV talks about this a lot, of like a a vat of suckiness that has happened over the last five to ten years. The idea of this team getting back to the playoffs. The Pacers will have that same weight on their shoulders when we get to April, but but for the Colts being on the doorstep again, the, the importance of, even if it is on the road, being back a part of the postseason national conversation. Well, I think... I, it's it's important in the sense that um, just to, look that they have overachieved. I, I think I think if they don't if they lose the last two games of the season, which I don't think will happen, but if they lose the last two, I still think this season has been a success. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just I just don't feel like I mean people are going to be pissed off if they and they're going to say oh it's just like the Wentz year and all that sort of thing. But I, I don't think that's the case. I, I, I think you just have to, you know, this sounds soft, but I think you just have to appreciate what Sh- Shane Steichen and and Minshew and uh, the rest have done. You know, we were talking in the press room, like, you know, we go on radio and people ask us, how are the Colts in a playoff situation? How have they won eight games? And, the answer is I'm not really sure. I mean, they 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 got a good pass rush. Uh, they uh, defensively, um, you know, they get takeaways. They had 19 straight games with a takeaway. But other than that, how do you explain it? And I think a lot of it is the schedule and the fact they're playing a lot of backup quarterbacks and the fact that Minshew is the best of the backup quarterbacks. So, uh no, I, I, I think people will be deeply disappointed, but I, I, I think they're, uh, they shouldn't be, is what I'm saying. They shouldn't be because this team's already gone well beyond 
at least what I thought they would do. Of course, I, I said they would win three, four games. So what in the hell do I know? Okay, Bob, before we let you go, two things I'm mentioning here on your social calendar. One you probably oh, know, yeah. but here's the other one. You ready? Yeah. I think the best val- – I'm sitting here looking at it right now, and it, and I'm amazed by this, okay? I'm not saying you, Bob Kravitz, but for people listening, if you are interested in taking kids, for example, to go watch a game – when I was a kid, Bob, I grew up here – and my sister went to University of Evansville, and my dad took me to Hinkle to go see Evansville and Butler play. And I loved it because it was Division I college basketball. They were in the MCC at that time. wasn't high level, but I loved it because it was Division I college basketball. You can do that here, and I think for a great value for young kids at the Coliseum to go watch IUPUI play, there are options here. But I think the best story in the area right now that nobody's talking about, other than JMV because he went there, how about the fighting trees of Indiana yeah. State? You can get tickets for like 15 bucks to go watch a team that's, I think, on a 10-game win streak, that's playing at a high level, and Indiana State and what he's done over there and turning that program around is pretty darn cool. Yeah, it really is. And I, I'm a big fan of Greg Lansing, so I was I was a little bummed when they let him go. I like him as well. Great uh, deal. Great, great guy. Was it, was it Shirts? Is that his name? Shirts? Yes. Sheets? Shirts. He, he's done a marvelous job. Obviously, I don't know that much about their program because I don't even know how to pronounce the coach's last name correctly. But they got that one kid, the kid with the goggles. What's his name? Uh, oh, uh, the, gosh. The, the Jokic clone, right? The Jokic guy, yeah. The, the, exactly. collegiate, Jokic. the collegiate Jokic is, is essentially what we're going with, right? Right, exactly. But in reality, you you are correct. He is obviously a 6'10 big man that they kind of use to run everything through, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Robbie Avila from Illinois. Robbie Avila, that's it, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I have not seen them play once all season long. So I, I could sit here and try and sound smart about them, but I would fail miserably. You know, Butler, I think I'm going to go. They're they're playing on the third. They got a game. They got a home game on. I think it's a Wednesday night at seven o'clock. And I think I'm just going to go. I think I'm buy tickets and just go over. It's going to be like our Springsteen impromptu trip, Bob. I'm just going to drive over and see who wants to go. Which leads to my last point. And you don't have to commit now on the air. Put you in a bad spot. But I'm telling you, Michael from the elect has told me that if you make an appearance on New Year's Eve, they're going to do Springsteen songs for you at the Slippery Noodle. If he does Rosalita, I'm there. <laughs> I'm telling you, I think we can get him to do it, man. You, you oh, met Michael. Man. You saw how free-floating he is and how he's just a laid-back oh, dude. He, I think he'd do it. He is, he's a great guy. You know, we, we, we were invited to a New Year's Eve party uh, just yesterday, and I'm like, well, I I seem to remember that Jake called one night and <laughs> said, let's all get together. So I... We'll have to figure this out in the next couple of days. Well, you text me if you're going to make it over there, and Marty Bacon at the Noodle will make room for you. We might even get you a parking spot. But I understand your dance card's always full. Well, you know I'm taking an Uber, man. (laughs) Fair enough. You know I'm taking an Uber. Good point. That's right. I Ubered you all the way to Chicago, so I should know, right? Hell yes. There's no way I'm getting behind the wheel. Well, that's smart. Bob, happy new year to you, man. We always appreciate it and look forward to your columns. All right. Take care, man. All right. Bob Kravitz.